Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Oh, Jack. Jack O'Hara. Boy, you asked me some interesting questions, my man. It's a great question, Jack. Jack, hey, it's Josh Radder. Hey there, Jack O'Hara. It's Johnny Damon. Jack, so you had questions for me. Jack O'Hara? Absolutely. This message is for Jack O'Hara. Jack, how are you? Hey, Jack. Jack, hey, what's going on, man? How you doing? What's going on, Jack? Uh, listen, man, you know, you, you, you asked me a couple questions. Live and broadcasting around the world, you're listening to The O Show. In the show and uh, doing your thing, I mean, you've got some pretty big name guests. I've seen your, your stuff, so congratulations on your success. Jack O'Hara. Much nicer guy than Conan O'Brien with much better interviewing skills. Don't forget to share this episode on your social media. Now, let's get to it. I'm so boned. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow, and now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Oh, dude. She's totally going to break up with you. She's definitely going to break up with me. Should have used TickPick. Wait, what'd you say? TickPick. Look. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? There are no hidden fees. What'd you guys think I said? Oh, TickPick. I thought you said TickPick. No hidden fees. Download today. Springer here, and I understand you have a few questions for me. I know we don't have a lot of time, so I'm going to ask you three rapid-fire questions. The first being, if you could have any two guests on the Jerry Springer show to feud with each other, who would they be and why? Um, well, uh, uh, maybe uh, Trump and uh, Rachel Maddow. Yeah. Uh, and uh, just to watch, watch Rachel have him for lunch. <laughs> you know, I enjoy that. Well, I think it's safe to say that millions around the world enjoyed it. Uh, I mean, how much did you enjoy it? You know, how much did you learn from people after that show? Because you've basically gotten to meet any type of human being with any type of mentality. Right? Um, what did I learn most about people while I was doing the show? Um, I learned basically we're all the same. Uh, it's just that some people are born with... Uh, more opportunities, uh, better luck of the draw, and parents, better health. Um, and uh, But the common denominator is everyone wants to be happy, and they get upset when they're not. I mean, it's crazy that you did that show for 29 seasons. I mean, throughout the 29-year history, I mean, you were a politician to start, and then you got into showbiz. What was one of the more annoying things, if not the most annoying thing, that your wife you know, hated about the show? Uh, the biggest thing that upsets uh, my wife about the show, um, I think I wear her out with my corny jokes. And uh, like uh, I was on the elevator um, yesterday and this uh, older man came up to me and he was, uh, he just walked on the elevator and said, hey, Jerry Springer. And uh, he says, I, I, I just got this new hearing aid. It's the finest hearing aid money can buy. And I'm going, yeah, uh, what kind is it? He said 4 o'clock. Catch new episodes of The O Show for free, available on all audio platforms, including Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. For full video versions of the podcast, head on over to YouTube and StarWorldWideNetworks.com. 
The O Show is presented by Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. Mayweather Boxing and Fitness is an inclusive, high-intensity fitness experience developed by the champ Floyd Money Mayweather himself. The best group boxing workout in the market, Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. J.P. Zarka, owner and editor-in-chief of ProWrestlingStories.com. You are in England, my friend. It is uh, from here in the Mountain State. This is a nine-hour difference for us. So why? So first of all, we were talking about obviously you, uh, your story of how you moved to England originally from Chicago, uh, the windy city. But how how have things been there in 2020 uh, specifically, given everything that's been going on? Because it's probably been a lot different than it has been in the states. Yeah, no, um, we were in Australia when the whole lockdown started wow. happening. We had some friends out there for we were we were out there for a wedding, and they locked down like everything. You know, restaurants were closed. The streets were empty. It was like tumbleweeds. And we went through Melbourne Airport. It was absolutely empty. We come back here, and surprisingly, it was almost as normal. You know, even though this, we're talking about mid-March, right, when the whole pandemic yeah. started happening. Um, you know, so we, we've been kind of bunkering down like hermits in our home. We go out for walks. You know, I feel like I've aged 30 years. You know, my favorite thing of the day is to go for walks now with my wife and daughter. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's been all right. I mean, 2020, um, it's been a scary time, you know. But I think with, with England, we're now in our second lockdown. So we're not going to see friends or anything like that. We can't even meet with friends in the garden wow. in our backyards or anything. So, we just kind of, you know, do what we can to keep ourselves occupied and, and entertained as much as possible. Oh, my God. I mean, I, that's probably the next step for us. I'm in school right now. I'm waiting for them to kick us out uh, yeah. in Phoenix. So you guys are already in, in quarantine again in the second lockdown. Yeah, we're in the second lockdown. The first one was a lot more strict where... Yeah. Um, schools weren't open. We, we had our daughter home and, you know, we, we only have our one child and she's pretty easy going luckily. Um, but you know, the, I've had friends who had three, four kids and they were going out of their mind, you know, because <laughs> they're stuck <laughs> in the house, you know, and, but it, it's okay. I think it's, I think the lockdowns are a good thing. I know you got differing opinions on this whole pandemic and oh, COVID-19 yeah. and such, but I, you know, I think they're doing things as best as they can, and we're just kind of coping as, as much as possible. I mean, it's so interesting. I know I read one story back in March when everything was going on. I think it was Jared Leto. He said that he was in isolation for like the first two weeks, and by the time he got out and, and back in, into his normal life, he had no idea what was going on because like no one was outside. The entire world was in lockdown, and he's like, yeah. "What was going on, man? Like, I, I had no idea that this could even uh, be possible because it's never happened before, right?" Not in our lifetimes. I mean, it's 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 nuts. Uh, but you almost have to just kind of be resilient to it as much as possible. You know, I I I believe that we all should be just kind of taking it easy and just like wearing masks. Don't go out. Don't go near. Don't go into groups of people. Right. You know, unprotected. But just be smart and uh, just kind of be patient and wait this thing through. Hopefully, by this time next year, it'll be a different situation. But yeah, it's it's been a very strange year, hasn't it? I mean, it's been very interesting to see how businesses all around the globe kind of adapt to it. I mean, we've seen restaurants, obviously, get shut down. There's really nothing you could do about that. Getting back up to like 50% capacity, dine in. I know we're dine in still here in Phoenix. I know there's a lot of places on the East Coast that have completely shut down again. Uh, it's been interesting to see a lot of 
companies adapt. Obviously, WWE first and foremost had to uh, obviously shut down their entire fan base. They, they weren't obviously allowed to uh, bring fans in, and they did it from the performance center, right? I, again, I didn't watch yeah. it all the way through, but they I know the first few months they did it with no crowds. Then they brought in uh, some of their NXT guys, I think, just to clap when they needed yeah, their to clap. personnel like, be in the audience. Yeah. And, and then they did the whole Thunderdome thing, which has yeah. worked now. I'm, yeah. I'm shocked that they didn't think of that beforehand. Obviously, this has never happened before, and they had to adapt quickly. But what have you thought about that um, whole scenario uh, that Vince has kind of put together with the current programming, given that he has no fans to work with? Well, I think, like you said, they just kind of had to, like, we had a blank sheet. Like, okay, what do we yeah. do? How do we respond to this? And, um you know, I thought of you know watching like WrestleMania this year, for instance. Right, it was interesting. Like you can hear the grunts a lot louder, and and just the, the the hits on the mat, and there's not that interaction with the fans. And it it's all it's very strange. Like watching wrestling right now, you almost have to just kind of tune your mind out to the fact there's no one in the or very few people in the audience now, and it's a lot different. You pay more attention to what's happening in the ring. Um, I, I, I've been having a hard time getting real into it, really, especially when there wasn't any fans. That was very strange, you know. It was almost like muting the fans and just hearing. It's just it was a different experience. But I know I know even like in AEW and other promotions as well, they're doing what they can and uh, going into a place like the Thunderdome and having the the fans in the background was a. It was I thought it was kind of cool. It was a good way to bring the fans in. Um, I know, obviously, didn't, there was a couple of hiccups where somebody oh, yeah. had put a picture of what Chris Benoit and yeah. know, a few other things slipped through. So you had those those teething issues at, at the start. But I know, like, the NBA has tried it and other sports have also tried having electronic fans in the background. What else are you going to do? You know, do what they can. I mean, on that uh, WWE side, like, I, you would have to think that something like that was going to happen. Yeah. Like as soon as they brought in the whole Thunderdome idea, I'm like, there's gonna be a few fans that are just gonna hijack this and and, and make this of course out them, you know? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, they probably knew that was gonna happen as well. But yeah, so but I, for the most part, I mean I, I I haven't been watching a lot of fool shows. I, I see yeah. the clips, I read about what's happening and you know, I think they're doing the best they can right now. It's it's 2020. It's just so strange. You know, you just look. It's going to be one of these things we look back on when things get back to normal, if normal exists again, and we'll look back and think, "Wow, you know, I can't believe how everything changed." Not just wrestling, but you know, sports or you know, schooling and everything else. It was business. The way people run businesses. Yeah. You know, a lot more people working from home now, and so yeah, it's right now. I think we're all kind of resilient. We're like, all these changes. We're just kind of we're rolling with it. Yeah, I mean, it's funny, like the first few weeks back in March and April, I, I personally would say that everybody was uh, kind of worried, freaking out a little bit, being stuck in your house for that long. But now at this point, everybody seems very disciplined to it. I don't know about yeah. you, but like you're kind of yeah. used to it by now. Exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. You're, you're used to it by now. And it's almost like in your head, we're always like us, my, my wife and I, we like to travel, you know. Yeah. Because I'm I'm from Chicago, as you mentioned in the intro. Um, my original reason to move to England was for first of all teaching. I got a teaching job out here, but also travel. And they had a lot of time off with the schools out here in the UK. So you every six to eight weeks, you have a week off, a week or two off. 
And so it was really great to be located here in London where we would shoot off to Spain or Europe or go to Asia or see my wife's family in Germany. Now we can. So we're, we're actually having our first Christmas here in London. Oh, wow. Since we moved there. Yeah, because we've always been back in Chicago or in Germany or somewhere else. You typically like a warm climate if we can. But, yeah, so we're all home now. And you just try to make the best of things and, you know, make it as fun as possible. And a lot of people are putting up Christmas lights early this year. Uh, you're one of those people already have a tree in our room oh do you really yeah we're gonna start i think we're gonna do it this weekend we're one of those people i didn't want to be but we are i didn't get a say it boosts morale though it's a bit like in a typical year i would wait till thanksgiving yeah but you gotta have other like just little things like that to kind of brighten the mood really just to like trigger your brain, be like, good times are coming. Good times are yeah, coming. Yeah, absolutely. And then it's like, oh, 2021, it's not looking any better, but we just got to roll with it. So were you growing up in Chicago, were you a big, big, obviously big wrestling fan growing up? Was it a uh, big sports? What was your whole scene growing up in Chicago? Well, I was a huge sports fan, uh, Bulls, Cubs, White Sox. I loved the White Sox when I was little, and then I grew up to be a Cubs fan. So that kind of... I am the exact same way. I grew up in Jersey, a Mets fan, like the first few months, and then I'm like, this is not going to work out. And then (laughs) jump jump ship. The rest of my family's diehard Yankee fans, so I guess it kind of worked out. Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, so, I mean, I grew up... I mean, we had the Bulls, which was huge when I was a kid, so... He, uh, you know, Jordan and, and the Bulls won in 90 when I was seven. Yeah. And then their last championship came when I was, what, 15? So those are those are pretty big times in a person's life, you know, seven to 15. What a range for things to be happening sports-wise. A lot of times people get to their adult life and don't have their team win. So we were pretty spoiled. I was spoiled early with that. But I was huge into wrestling. Um I remember we had a babysitter. Uh, my mom was a flight attendant, so she would either do overnighters, and we would have either a neighbor or a family member watch us. But we had one neighbor whose uh, husband was a huge wrestling fan. And the the woman who was watching my brother and I thought possibly my mom wouldn't want us to watch it. So she's like, you're not allowed to go into that room. My husband's watching wrestling. And I was like, you can hear it. You can hear the crowd. And I'm like, I want to go in. you know. And what he was watching was WrestleMania three, And I was... At this point, four years old, and I clearly remember, and I was just like taken, like it took my world by surprise. You know, these bigger than life superstars. What yeah. is this? It's crazy. Look at all those fans. Oh my gosh! And then as I got older, um, it was Razor Ramon, One Two Three Kid, Joint the Clown, Yokozuna, Bret Hart was my man. You know, like I was obsessed with Bret Hart back in the day. All my friends would be doing like the sharpshooter on each other, or we would be doing like the razor's edge up against a hill in the in the school's playground. You know, we were doing all that, and we we, we would always have a friend that had a pay per view being taped, and we would pass yeah. the tape around school the next week. So it was some of my best memories. Wow, I was kind of the opposite. So when I started, I started watching when I was in seventh or eighth grade. Like mm-hmm. I came on, I was one of those kids who started later because my brother always watched it. Um, growing up and I was always one of those kids just like, you know, it's fake, right? Like just not like even know, like it was more of just like a drama or like a soap opera, but like wrestling as its background. So like when I first started watching, like he was just watching one night and I think it was, it was like Undertaker, Triple H preview for their first WrestleMania match or something. And of course those two best in the business when it came to just about anything in ring competition promos, and I was like hooked from there, but I wouldn't let myself admit it. 
for like a for like a few months after like WrestleMania 27, I would just sneak it. I'd be watching it, and then my dad would I would hear my dad walk in the room, and I'd quickly switch it back to like the Yankee game or something. He's like, "What are you watching?" I'm like, "Oh, nothing, nothing, nothing." And it's funny because like years later, he's like, "I I like I know you always used to sneak it, Jack. Like you didn't really uh, come across as too sneaky with that." But my my first big storyline, we went to Monday Night Raw in Boston. It was like right before. I think it was the Money in the Bank pay-per-view and CM Punk, and they started that whole storyline with the pipe bomb and him leaving. And our first Raw was um, that one in Boston. He had like an in-ring contract negotiation with Vince McMahon. And like looking back at that Raw, that's like a historic Raw. I mean, they probably won't admit it to themselves now that he's gone and the way it ended. But that was probably one of the most historic Raws ever, and we got to go to that. And ever since, we've been hooked. Like, again, we don't watch it on a weekly basis anymore but we definitely keep up with all the storylines and i think in 2020 this year specifically i don't know how much you again you've paid attention to it but uh, i'd say all their storylines for their main event scenes at least right now are some of the best work they've done in years and it's unfortunate that uh, fans can't be in attendance to actually see that happen yeah i agree like drew is a two-time champ in 2020 like that's amazing um i'm liking heel roman reigns Oh yeah, but that whole storyline is drawing me in. I'll, I'll watch all those bits, all the Roman Reigns bits each week. I'll follow it. Like if, if I told myself a year ago, I'd be only watching like or paying attention to the Roman Reigns bits. It's exciting stuff, man. It, it almost brings you back to the storylines of the past, really. The way they've been doing it. it's simple, um, but but it's working. You know the like. So you mentioned like you came in in 2011 when you were. That was a huge time to to be watching. That was great story. I'm still looking back at that year now. That's yeah. probably the best year of storytelling that I've watched. 2011, 2012. Yeah, I, I, I would say in the last 10 years that and for me, I would say Daniel Bryan in 2013, yeah. 14. Because yeah. I've had these weird. I don't know about like how it's been for you, but I've gone real into wrestling. I'd be real hot on it for a while and then i pull back for a couple of years and it's usually like when puberty hit i stopped watching is a lot you know and, and then so it was like the new generation era i stopped watching around the time uh sean mike after sean michaels had become uh champ and i was a huge fan of him and then it's like 95 the new generation era got a bit bleak it wasn't so good and then i had come back in and started watching around 99 we used to have raw monday night raw parties uh, we would have a friend, we would always go to a friend's house where we'd be in the basement watching it every week. And I got sucked right into The Rock and Stone Cold and everything else. And then I pulled out again. And I had like, when I was at college and just, you know, when I finished college, it really was that Daniel Bryan storyline that pulled me right back in. I was just like, well, what's going on with wrestling these days? You know, I would constantly, you know, every week or two, I would just go onto a website, Raja WWF. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember that one? That was one of the big ones back in the day. And I, I used to go on it when I was in high school, like in the late 90s, and get all the rumors and just read this, the show recaps. And I was like, all right, what's going on in WWE? And I had heard that uh, SummerSlam was coming up, and so I had seen SummerSlam. And that was when, this is 2013, when Brian right. jumped Cena. I was like, what? This is crazy. You know, so I got jumped right back in, and I haven't looked back, you know. And it was around that time I started reading autobiographies and i was like going from like i had read uh john lennon's uh former wife cynthia wrote a book on him i think it's called john that was a fantastic book i finished that and i was like what next do i do and i i, I saw that bret hart had an autobiography out so i read his man that like 
rock my world because the stories and the just the things that was happening off camera was so much more interesting than the oh, storyline yeah. on TV. The partying, the debauchery, the womanizing, none of it's right, but it or it's you know, it, 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 you don't look at it in like a growing way, but it was it was interesting. You know, the, the, the lies they were living. And oftentimes, 350 days on the road, you know, it's, it's crazy. Um, and so after I had read Bret Hart's book, I started doing, I was just started getting into Reddit. And um, the Squared Circle is one of the subreddits on there. And I had done a write-up on uh, how Ultimate Warrior had kind of let down a family where there was a boy who's on his last wish for Make-A-Wish Foundation. Right. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, and he was, he was like backstage with the family and wanting to meet Ultimate Warrior. And um, the way it was in Bret Hart's book, and he kind of just made it seem like uh, Ultimate Warrior was just a bit of a jerk, really. And so I put the story out there on Reddit, and it went real well. And then there was another piece. After I'd read more about Owen Hart, I put together some quotes from people talking about his death and then yeah. put them up on Reddit. And before you know it, every Saturday morning, I started just finding different wrestling stories and i was putting them together and putting them on reddit and it kind of it was something fun to do you know my wife liked to sleep in on the weekends before our daughter was born and i was always up early um and so i would just kind of dive into like some interviews and i would write something up and every saturday was my mission to kind of do a new wrestling story and i got to a point where i think there was like 35 to 40 already written and my wife said, why don't you put this on a website? You know, there's probably an audience you can reach with this. And that's yeah. when I started ProWrestlingStories.com. And so it was, it was all kind of organic. I, I just kind of got back into wrestling, started reading the books. I was interested in writing more. I mean, I love writing, I'm, you know, whether it's music or stories or anything else. I used to teach English and such. So it was just something I was just doing for fun. And I never realized, like, how big of an audience that something like this could reach especially because we're all kind of nostalgic beasts, aren't we? We like to look back to the good old days, right. especially when times are not good like now. <laughs> and, um, and so really these stories I, I, that I started writing and putting together were not about today's wrestling. It was about the past in the glory days or from the 90s or the 70s, the 60s, the multiple screw jobs and everything else. And the more you dive in, I just, I, I got sucked into this this new world, and it's been so much fun. I mean, it's the best platform you could have because, again, like if you're going to uh, create a blog or create a website and you put out the same like review posts or the review blogs, preview stuff that everybody else is talking about, nobody's going to tune in. Nobody's going to view it because... Honestly, like, who are you going to listen to? Me or WWE.com or AEW.com? Like, nobody's, like, you don't have any, like, inside source unless you have a few connections, right? So, like, yeah, you know, there's so many websites out there doing exactly what you just said. They, yeah. they recap the week shows, they talk about rumors, or they're rehashing the news from the Dave Meltzers of the world. You know, right. they're taking these headlines and then they're just, they all, like, you, you'll see it. Like, we, we see it on our social media and such. Um, so many websites out there that are just kind of rehashing the same things, just worded differently. And I didn't want to 
do that. That just kind of seems tiring to me. Like, yeah, if I was an editor for one of these websites, I, I would be kind of bored with it, you know, because you'd every day I'd have to be checking Twitter or checking the news and, oh, what's new? I have to type something up about it. Whereas really what I didn't want to do that. And because the way I'm not interested, I'm interested in reading what's happening. We all have our go-to sites and to switch people's minds to go into a new site to read recaps and stuff. It's very difficult. And so if you can bring people in by sharing stories that happen in real life that many people don't know about, you just capture their attention with a couple sentences. And then all of a sudden they've got a 3000, 4,000 word story here that just sucks you in like a book does. That's to me what it's, what it's all about. And again, it was just so organic. I wasn't thinking like, especially in 2015, when I started the site, I almost started doing recaps. I had a couple of recaps on the page and I just felt bad for the writers that were doing it because the, they weren't getting a lot of reads compared to the actual stories. We're talking like one week, I think there was a SmackDown review and it had 35 reads. I was like, yeah, that's it. We're not doing that anymore. And it's been a lot of trial and error. And oh, so I'm sure. Yeah, for sure. And it's just mostly been sticking to the method that works. And it's just telling stories, you know, telling the stories from the past and in, in doing so, not not injecting your own opinion as as a writer so people come to a website like pro wrestling stories for instance they don't want to know they don't want to sway or slant on the way something's being delivered so i i try to do as much as possible to use the quotes that people that were involved in these stories or in these 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 situations let those quotes do the, the telling and then i you know you fill in the blanks from there and so yeah, it's 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 just something that's worked, and um, you know, I, I remember like the the first day the so the, the website went live May 16, thousand fifteen, on like the seventeenth. Jim Ross had retweeted one of the articles on it was about Owen Hart pulling ribs in the back, and uh, and then it was like two days later, Sports Illustrated had put out an article and, and incorporated. It was like an extra mustard. It was like these yeah. these releases. And it was they had like an interview with Dwayne The Rock Johnson, and then he said, "For these wrestling, for the wrestling fans out there, be sure to check out ProWrestlingStories.com. You can lose thirty minutes of your time." And I was like, "Wow, holy cow! Where's all these people coming from?" Yeah. I was checking like Google Analytics, and <laughs> you know, from the first month, we were getting hundred thousand readers. You know, so it was just right from the start, people were interested. So yeah, I, I mean, you're doing something right right out of the get go, like like you yeah. said, like those first few stories that you wrote, like coming from like the Bret Hart autobiographies and stuff, like you're not going to understand those stories or read those stories online unless you actually read the book. Right. For sure. Cause I'm sure but, that came you, out. You try to build it. So like each story kind of stands alone yeah. where you can become an in cold. And so you, you, you introduce what's, what, what the story's about. You kind of hook them on the social media side of things. And then you, you build up to the story yeah. so that, you know, but, but for every piece, like I'm, I'm always bringing up, like the autobiographies that they are such a treasure trove of stories and information. You know, I, I, gosh, I, I think I'm on like my sixth wrestling book in a row now. It's terrible. Like I, I should be reading, I should be going to pick up another type of book right now, but it's just, they're so fascinating. You know, it's just one after the other. I, I, if there's anything people do like other than, you know, when they're listening to this, other than going to pro wrestling stories.com is to try picking up an autobiography from a wrestler. It's, it's surprisingly good. Oh my God! It's not crazy lives. Who do you think has has the most interesting story thus far? I've read. I'm on my third Jericho book right now. No is a four letter word. 
I think he's yeah, that's, awesome that's, Noah's a four letter. I think that's the fourth one. What he had like the he had the the first one was just time in WCW up to WWE. And then right. he's got, got the WWE in the second book. The third one kind of covers uh, the third one had the one with the Kofi Kingston and Vince McMahon fight on an airplane. Yes. Well, it was like the best well, it wasn't on radio or something. Yeah, like they got drugged from Jack Daniels or whatever. Yeah. So that covered more of like his later WWE days. And then the fourth book, which is the no, um, it's like I have that book as well. It's the, where he's covering the, uh, he gives like life's lessons. That yeah, it's, it's like 12 books. principles or whatever. There's like the Vince yeah. principle, Paul Stanley, you know, like mixing rock and roll with wrestling. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I love the Jericho books. He's, he uses humor, you know, so you, you just get sucked through and you're laughing as you're reading. Bret Hart, of course, goes without saying. Gary Hart's book is phenomenal. I don't know if you've heard about Gary Hart's book. But um, he was a legendary manager, and he right. had put this book out. And I don't know what – there was a situation with um, the publishing of this where the, the, the person who originally published it is not allowing this book to be – for new copies to be made. So at the moment, you can't get a Gary Hart book for less than 800 if you're lucky, or a couple thousand dollars. You know, So you'll see him pop up on eBay once in a while. But there was a PDF floating around that I, I – kind of was a bit cheeky, downloaded it, and I read it that way. And that's a phenomenal book. Like, probably my favorite. I would put Gary Hart at the top, Bret Hart. Bob Holly surprised me. His book, Hardcore Truth, really good, because he's brutally honest, you know, and he's not afraid to say where he was wrong and where, you know, what he, you know, where his whole story was very interesting and the way it was written. Um, Ric Flair's book, I'm just almost done with that, To Be the Man, by Keith Elliott Greenberg. That's a great one. Um, Boy, oh boy, J.J. Dillon, that was a great yeah. autobiography, really good, because he had the um, experiences of wrestling and, of course, being a legendary manager for Four Horsemen, and then you've got him behind the scenes as being one of the, the, the main guys in the back in WWE, WWF as well, you know, So and WCW, so you hear all the, the, the crazy stories that happen there. So, yeah, there's so many books out there I could recommend. I mean, there's so many, unfortunately, there's so many disgruntled former wrestlers out there that are yeah. just go off and tell their stories. Was there any, like, really big things? Like, you mentioned the whole uh, Ultimate Warrior stuff in the Bret Hart um, autobiography. Like, Bret Hart, I feel like, is one of those guys that wouldn't hold back, given everything that he had to go through uh, in the business. I like Bret Hart's book because, and I know a lot of people say he's just as miserable. He's grown up to yeah. be miserable. He complains a lot. His, when you read his book, I didn't get the feeling that he was complaining a lot because he was always just, he was just shooting straight. Like, yeah. um, he was very honest about his own downfalls, but his um, cheating on his wife and, and not, you know, that aspect. He was brutally honest about that in his book. That was almost eye opening, you know a Bret Hart type on the road. And he was saying things like he had a, a, almost a woman in every country he visited, you know, and always waiting, you know? So that was, that was interesting. I like the books that are brutally honest like that, but yeah. unfortunately sometimes you start reading these books and you kind of get the feeling like, like um, Hogan's book. Um, that wasn't that good. That was under the, I think that was released under WWE as well. So of course there's going to be a right. Slide. Yeah. Um, that, that was, yeah. Uh, what else? The, uh, what book was I recently re uh, reading and I wasn't impressed. Oh, oh, Austin's book. It started really good. 
and especially talking about how we got into the business and um, that that part of it. But then it got into just kind of at the end, just rehab. He was just kind of telling me what the storylines were on TV, where I'm interested in what was going on after the camera stopped rolling. Yeah. So that was a shame. Hope, maybe he'll go back and write another. The Rock's book as well wasn't that good. That was another WWE release. Yeah, that's what I'm, I was assuming. Like WWE's releases are definitely curved to where it's mainly about the storylines you read on TV, and then there's really no like disgruntled parts where they're talking about real life stuff that could potentially harm them. Yeah, yeah, and that's. I mean, this is why us as fans were really gravitating towards like Dark Side of the Ring as yeah. well. Like yeah. the series on Viceland right now, like it's huge, and you, you we are interested in. The ugly truth, you know, we're all human. We all make mistakes, and these wrestlers are, are no different. They were living a rock and roll lifestyle, and they were putting their bodies on the line. They were in pain constantly. They were getting no sleep, and so these, what they were doing with their time outside, you know, away from the fans is so interesting. And, and you kind of hope when you're reading them, and every 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 wrestler who writes a book is it's it's up to them how much they want to to put out there. But as, as a fan, you kind of hope that uh, I want to know the ugly truth, you know, and hopefully it's what you get. Well, like the two big ones that came out this year were obviously Chris Benoit. Everybody, everybody's been waiting to hear something regarding that story. And then there yeah. was the Owen Hart one. And I, I yeah. think both guys were like insanely family oriented to where those guys seem like two of the nicest guys that you could ever be around, you know, like they, they definitely thought of their, their wives and their kids first. And then obviously what happened with Chris happened with Chris. I don't think anybody's really going to understand why or how that happened. And then there was Owen Hart who was just being booked wrong and being booked in, in stupid gimmicks. And obviously what happened with him, they they sued they sued the WWE right the Hart family or at least yeah is yeah. family did I don't know how did they, I think it was like settled in the end um, yeah yeah I think Martha was trying to and then the it was like the Hearts were fighting against each other yeah they they like turned on Martha because she wanted to yeah. sue yeah so that was interesting to see I mean a lot of that I knew already from Brett's book or from yeah. other stories out there as well but the, 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 the speaking of like the dark side of the ring it was the dino bravo episode that i was i've seen so many of these but i was in tears at the end of that one you know just how it affected his daughter and his wife when he was shot point blank in the back of the head by somebody from the mob you know and that was actually one of the first stories on pro wrestling stories yeah. And to then see like these 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 stories that are pieced together for the site in a documentary form is it's awesome. I love it, and I think they're doing a phenomenal job. But the, the the episode that hooked me, I watched it. I think last year or two years ago, whenever it came out, were the uh, the Von Erickson brothers. Yeah, the Von Erickson. Yeah, six of them dying, which is just yeah. bizarre. Like, yeah, I, I don't know how you come back as a parent from that personally like i'm not a parent you're a parent you could probably answer that better but like i don't understand how you could uh live the normal life after that having five of your six children yeah. die from what whether it was suicide uh just again poor events leading up to it yeah david was i was it like in japan where was it food poisoning or something but that some believe could possibly drugs were in, in, in taking place in that one yeah that was probably one of the darkest stories in wrestling to have all of them die and 
you, you, you almost comes to say, cause we can't, we can't be armchair quarterbacks here and right. think about what led to all this, but they were under an insane amount of pressure of that family. They were thrusted upon, especially out in Dallas and Texas. They were everything to the fans out there. And, um, and I'm sure their father was very, the Fritz, I'm sure he was very tough on them growing up. And so, and then of course, all that pressure and, and then each of them had their own little downfalls on the way up and, or trying to reach stardom. Some of them like Mike, uh, yeah, it was just a lot of pressure and, and it just kind of, it was just too much to handle. Yeah. That one, that's a tough one to, to, to even dive into. I mean, the, there was that one brother that shouldn't have even been in the wrestling ring and, and yes. like, the dad forced him because he needed an extra spot. It was almost like the the wrestling version of the Jackson family with, with Joe Jackson kind of just like yeah. di- dictating his children. Make that connection for sure. Yeah. And it, absolutely. Yeah. And one of the, was it, was it, um, I think it was David where he was, he was sick and he had, he had come back and he wrestled too early and he was still sick. And I think that it made it worse for him. And that ultimately led to, his death later, but yeah. yeah, there's just so many stories. And like, when you think of basketball or football and, you know, any sport out there or any form of entertainment behind the scenes, I don't think there's anything that any form of entertainment that has more interesting, more traumatic, more dramatic, more dark stories than wrestling, you know, and it's, and it's crazy. And I think now that, Vice has put out this documentary series. We're going to start to see more. I know A and E's working on some documentaries at the moment. There's going to be one on uh, Vince McMahon, Shawn Michaels. They actually reached out. A and E reached out to me a few weeks ago for help with some research as well for some wow. of their yeah so it was for the Shawn Michaels episode. So it'll be exciting to see what happens there. And so I think people are starting. People in entertainment are starting to realize there's a big audience for these stories and. You know, once people start diving in, there's just a plethora of darkness. And <laughs> darkness. I, mean, I, wonder, and- I wonder how much darkness there's going to be in Shawn Michaels' documentary. Because I'm sure, like, he was a big partier back in the day. I mean, with his personality and how big he was, probably the greatest in-ring performer of all time. There's got to be some stuff in there, despite all the great stuff as well. Yeah. I'm intrigued to see what the Vince McMahon documentary is going to be like, because I know that's going to be on Netflix, oh, yeah. and I wonder if he's actually going to have any say in how that goes, because if he does, it's definitely going to be curved, and it's definitely going to be censored. We do now want him to have say, you know, we I want know. it to be truthful. Like, he's lived a, an interesting life. Like, um, yeah. from he never really knew his father growing up. He was he was out of the picture, right. and he was... It, and you hear things like if if you've read if you read his Playboy interview from I think '99 or something like this, he dove into like he, he was hinting about abuse from his mom, yeah. sexual abuse and stuff like this. So he's not exactly had the the best upbringing, you know. So it's yeah, and he was he was at military school from a young age too. So yeah, Vince is an interesting character. But um, the the story about Sean, it's another one where. He was living that rock and roll lifestyle. He was at the top yeah. and a lot of arrogance. And he would he he would admit it too now that he was a bit of a, a jerk to other people. Like he was, you know, in the back. You think about the amount of stories that are out there. And my website has a lot of them about Shawn Michaels kind of playing a role in holding somebody back because of a vendetta or not liking them or whatever. And 
it's pretty ugly. Like the Shawn Michaels today is totally different than the Shawn Michaels. Oh yeah. Time. And so you almost have to separate those two things. And so yeah, a documentary on that's going to be really good. I mean, the Shawn Michaels back in in the Montreal screw job is, is way different than you know, like Hall of Famer Hunter Shawn Michaels, whatever he's doing now. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure him and Bret Hart had a lot of uh, disagreements when they later talked. Whether it was like what 20 years later after the fact, 15, 20 years later after the fact, I know they had that yeah. segment on Raw, like right yeah. before Michaels retired. But I, I wonder how many times they actually talked in person before that, or if that was the first time on TV. Yeah, probably not a lot, to be honest. Yeah. I, I, off the top, I don't remember what Brett had said about it. I think he covers it. I think he covered it at some point. I know he's much, he must have mentioned something about this and stuff there. But yeah, um, I just, he just has to put that behind him, Brett. Poor guy. He's, he's got too much on his heart. <laughs> you know, he's he got to let go. I mean, he's got no choice, right? Do you personally yeah. think that it was a shoot and not a work? Because like that conspiracy, like you can go on for hours talking about, but. After reading, uh, doing a bunch of research, whether it was his autobiography, everything else, do you personally think it was a shoot? Like that went down the way everybody thought it went down? Yeah, no, that it, it, there's there was no this wasn't scripted. This, yeah, the screw job that it definitely happened, and Brett was definitely in his eyes screwed because of the fact you know he 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 didn't he was he was just he he wanted to leave WWE on his terms. And he wanted to drop the belts on his terms, not in his country and uh, things like this. And he kind of put himself in that situation, but you could see it from both sides. And it's one of those fascinating stories where every, there's so many different twists and turns and everyone's kind of skeptical when it comes to things like this. Was it a work or, you know, was it shoot? And yeah, I think it definitely happened. It would be silly not to think otherwise. So there's so many interesting, controversial stories that'll that'll get plagued by an audience, or or just obviously talked about by an audience. Have you written anything with with ProWrestlingStories.com that has gotten a lot of like not backlash, but a lot of controversy uh, with it? Like you went back and looked like, okay, maybe I shouldn't have wrote it the way I wrote it because it got a lot of uh, backlash. No, off the top of my head, like I've had situations where, like, as an editor, I've I've taken a four thousand word article, yeah, and then you try to condense it to like two or three lines on Twitter and Facebook just to get people to draw in. And so sometimes, like, and it's 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 one of those things that's like a learning experience because I'm not a trained journalist. Um, I was a trained teacher, you know, and I ended up leaving teaching a few years ago to focus solely on this. So it's really all trial and error. But I've had situations where something would be worded funny, and it it was just, especially on Reddit, that they will call you out on something like straight away. And so I kind of read what they're saying, and I'll take it down and then edit it, and that's it. But I've, oh, one big time something happened was when we put out an article. I was in Germany for my father-in-law's 60th birthday. And lots of lots of drinking was happening. I wasn't sober, but I put out an article about an hour before we went out. And so then we were out for the evening, and I get this text message, on, or I get a beep on my phone from Twitter, and um, was it uh, TJ um, TJ Wilson? Yes. Yeah, let me go. Try, I'm actually trying to pull it up as we speak on my screen. It was about injuries that took place in wrestling. And we were covering five wrestlers who ultimately had an injury take place that um, had to retire them early. 
and it was a life change. And there was a line in that article where my writer Joey had pulled from an interview from TJ where he had he had said what his doctor had said to him that he wouldn't be able to wrestle again. And we were just quoting what he had said. But he put on Twitter that um, what were you there in the doctor's office with me and my doctor? Because as far as I remember, it was just the two of us. Yeah. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Like I, I first, my first opinion was, or my first feeling was like, I feel terrible. Like I didn't want to offend him because as when I'm doing this, I have no ulterior motive to upset right. anybody. I'm just trying to tell these stories from a neutral standpoint and let the readers make their own opinions. But it was one of the situations where I think he was it, was, it was still fresh for him. He was still fresh retired from the ring and he, he'd read the article. He must've been tagged to it. And then I wrote him a message privately and I said, I'm so sorry that, you know, that was actually taken from a quote from an interview that you took with this so-and-so publication. And he wrote me back straight away saying, I'm sorry. I was a bit uh, he, he kind of just said I was a bit of a jackass about it, his words. And uh, he says, and he followed me after that. And I said, I'll take that part out of the article. And, and I ended up doing that. And I hit save on my, because I was doing it all on my phone. We're out in Germany for my father's yeah. father-in-law's birthday. And then my phone died the moment everything was fixed. And I was like, wow, you know, I got home thinking, I hope he took that tweet down. And he did. Thank God, you know, because you don't want negative attention like that because that's that's not the intent. That's probably the biggest time where I was I had a big, oh, man, this is not good <laughs> moment. I mean, he's probably got a lot of pull, too. He probably has a ton of followers on Twitter. That That's probably no good. Uh, yeah, you know, some people have the opinion, like, any any attention's good attention. Yeah. I, don't want, I don't want bad attention. I don't want negative attention for, for the site and what we're doing. I mean, of course, these stories do cover some pretty uh, tricky s- stories and, and situations, and you try to put it out there as much respectful way as possible. And um that that's one of the few times where that i can think of that i kind of had a little backlash yeah what do you think's been the most um emotionally tied story for you that you've written like what story stands out to you that you were like insanely passionate about insanely into when you were writing it chris candido's brother johnny reached out to me early days like 2016 and um i had there's a story on the website on uh Skip. I think I'm trying to find it now. It's right here. Uh, it's called "What Sonny Wants, Sonny Gets: The Sad, Sordid Relationship of Sonny and Skip," and it dives into like their whole relationship and how terrible Tammy was, yeah. and you know, cheating and everything else. And um, so Johnny uh, Candido's brother wrote me par- privately on Twitter and said, "You know, this doesn't even cover it." Like the things I could tell you, he's like, what's your number? And I gave him my number and he called me and we talked for four hours. And I, I talked to him to like two, three in the morning that night. I was just letting him talk. And I said to him straight away, I was like, can I hit record and that we could possibly use this for a piece? And he says, yes, of course. And so I hit record. I had four hours of, of audio there where he just opened up about everything from their whole relationship, how he met Tammy, how wonderful she was early days. They were high school sweethearts, uh, sweethearts you know. Yeah. She used to babysit Johnny and his sister and, and the family. And um, and then it goes into the dark. And then he started going into the darkness of, you know, what happened around the time his brother died and the funeral and how she was flirting with – she was, like, putting her arm all over Johnny at the funeral. And even um, – 
Billy Gunn had to go up to Johnny and say, hey, is there something going on between you and Tammy? He's like, no, that's not the case. And she was physically abusive and you know, she was doing drugs and everything else. And it, yeah. was, it was ugly. And so we had talked about three times in total. And it took a long time to transcribe that. It's about 28,000 words, actually. It's the biggest piece that we've got on the site. But when that was finished, we, you know, I sent it to him in advance. Are you happy with what's up there? And he was happy with that. He felt it portrayed his brother in, 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 the, in the best way possible that he could do it. And as well, it was telling the story truthfully. And that's the one article I think um, I put my most, uh, that, that, that kind of, it, it's, I guess, one I'm most proud of. And it was early days, too. And so that's wow. That's a special one for me. So he he literally poured his heart out to you for like four plus hours. Yeah, didn't know me. Yeah, yeah just got on the phone. Yeah. Wow. Wow, and that's probably the toughest job to me, like transcribing all that audio afterwards. <laughs> yeah, transcribing. Yeah, was- Four hours worth of content too. I that can't be too easy. But that's that, yeah, that, yeah, was, see, that was just a first combo. We had like an hour and a half conversation, and then another two-hour one. I, I've got these recorded. I didn't put them out there or anything, but yeah, that was about six plus hours of transcribing, and that was before there's this. Right now, they've got apps like Descript and other things where you just upload the MP3, and then it it gives you an I think a sixty percent correct version of the transcription. And go from there. But yeah, when you when you're transcribing, it's it's I think it's the worst part of what we do here. <laughs> so how early on when you were writing the these articles did people start to reach out to you within the business? Because obviously you did the podcast with Lanny, the, the Genius yeah. Cast. You got the Pro Wrestling Stories podcast right now. How yeah. early on did uh, people start reaching out to you when uh, your articles started coming out and you started getting a lot of views? Right away. Um, Savio Vega was one of the first ones. Del Wilkes, Jim Ross. Um, Gosh, you were some of the earlier interviews. But yeah, like straight away, I was getting follows. Like Lex Luger followed me when I, he was one of my first follows on Twitter. And I was like, holy cow, that's great. You know, and I wanted to get him for an interview, but he would, he was always dodging that. Um, Kevin Von Erich was one of the first people to follow okay. me. He, he reaches out once in a while and he says about this, this, so there was a Sportatorium article on the site. And we were, t- I think it was Percy Pringle was talking about, or Paul Bearer was talking about how the Sportatorium was just a massive shithole. Sorry for the French. Yeah. And leaks and rats and everything else. And a lot of people, there was rumors of the, you know, the fried food having rats in it and stuff like that. And then uh, Kevin's like, well, you know, my brothers and I, we did fix it up. We tried to fix those leaks. And I'm like, this is so cool. You know, I'm putting an article out and the people that was involved with it, or comment, you know, sending me comments privately. And, and, and I'm always like, do you mind if I throw that into the article as in a little excited? He's like, of course, you know, so Kevin has reached out to me a few times and just by doing the site, I've strangely become friends with some of these people that I was watching when I was a kid. Yeah. Kurt Angle is another one, you know, Kurt Angle reached out to me back in 2017 or 18, right when he had that app coming out, Angle Strong app, and it was about um, addiction recovery. And it was trying to help people because he had his own struggles with with drugs and such. So he had an application for a while on the phones. I think um, I don't think it's still out there, but he reached out to me. We we were on the phone for about an hour and a half, and then we did a Reddit Ask Me Anything session where I was on the phone with him and typing up the responses he gave. And yeah, it's 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 really this this whole thing is just it blows my mind. Like I said, it started 
office, just, I read a book, started writing about it. And now I'm friends with all these people from the business and I have to pinch myself sometimes. Yeah. It's, it's, cool. it's amazing how that happens. And then you have the, the genius cast with the brother of Macho Man, Randy Savage yeah. uh, with Lenny Poffo, who I hear is an awesome guy, tremendous guy. So how does that relationship start? And obviously the whole podcast and then obviously culminating into the podcast ending uh, what was that whole experience like for you? Um, I met Lanny when I went to New York City in July 2018 for the 350 Days documentary release. I met Greg the Hammer Valentine, Tito Santana, JJ yeah. Dillon, Lanny Poffel. I mean, I was I was drinking tea from Evan Ginsberg, who was the associate producer of The Wrestler with Mickey Rourke. Yeah, he was the associate producer for 350 Days, and. Uh, Craig the Hammer Valentine sitting there in his underwear drinking tea with me that Evan's wife had given us, and it was, it was so fun. And uh, Lanny had come out to visit Evan, and he was out the day after the documentary came out, and Evan's like, I'm meeting up with Lanny at a cafe. Why don't you come meet us? And so I went to Manhattan. I was staying with my buddy out in Brooklyn at the time, and Lanny and I straight away, we were just laughing. You know, the, the, like I had a massage that day. I was walking around. I saw like twenty dollar massages. Like, yeah, I'll do that. And then he's like, "Did you get a happy ending?" And that was like before <laughs> I even sat down. I'm like, I like this guy. He's got a personality, you know. And we walked around. We walked around that whole area. The three of us just laughing and sharing stories. And um, he, he followed me on Facebook and Twitter and all that afterwards. And I had started toying with the idea of doing podcasts again. And I thought, wow, Lanny's like not yes he's he's got this history in the business he's the brother of an icon he's got 100 million stories that he could share oh, yeah. as a person i got on with him really well so i thought you know what if we could just like record the conversations that we're having and i'm sure there's people that would enjoy it too and that's where it kind of started his first opinion was like no i don't want to do a podcast yeah. and then he thought about it and he's just like okay if you do all the work i'll do it and which <laughs> is what happened i i would do everything and yeah, he would just talk for 30 minutes to an hour each week, but it was so much fun. And the the conversations he would have with his friends and yeah, we had some, we had 20, I, w- I would say 20 really good shows where it dove into his, his life and wrestling, his, his interests outside of wrestling. And by the 20th week, um, it just wasn't I mean, the for, for Lanny, cause he had so many different things he wants to do now that he's retired. He wants to, you know, he wanted to travel. He wanted to do yeah. all this thing. And he was just like, it's like, JP, I've ticked the box on this one. You know, let's let's move on to the next. And I was totally okay with it. You know, because doing a podcast, as you know, it takes a lot of work. Oh, yeah. The recording, the editing, the, the social media, putting it out there, and plus doing the website as well. And I was teaching, too. You know, so all of that, I was, you know, I was thankful for the 20 episodes we had. The Pro Wrestling Stories podcast we had done up until a few months ago. So we had Corey Rivard and Chris Toplak. They had come on board and they they were like, these these are guys who are in the entertainment business anyways. Like Corey is an actor. Uh, Chris has been on radio. So these these guys were perfect for it. They were just simply taking the stories on the site and, uh, and doing an episode on them each week. But they got super busy as well. Like Corey was recording, um, he was doing a movie, I believe right around the time we kind of took a pause and then Chris got super busy with his, his nine to five 
Okay. So we don't, so it's kind of like on a permanent hiatus. Right. We originally said it was going to come back in the fall, but right now we're we're all just so busy that we don't know when it'll come back. But right. I don't like to put pressure on things like this. I, I understand people are doing this for fun. It's a passion project for so many of us. And so
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.